This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Ren Wadsworth. And I'm Maximus Hunter. We've got a great show coming up today. First off, we're going to kick it right off with we have the actual creator of the Moon Museum, Frosty Myers, here in the studio with us. And we're going to be talking to him about the Moon Museum and its current exhibition at the Gregory Alcar uh, Museum here on campus. After that, we're going to have a piece by our own local music director, Mia Sawaya, about recycling, just in time for National Recycling Day. Alrighty, and then after that, we're going to do a little bit of local and campus news with both Ren, Max, and Remy. And then after that, we're going to finish off our show with our national days, as well as our weather forecast for this upcoming week. But before we kick it off with that interview, we did want to ask our, ask our listeners a question that does pertain to our interview. And that question is, if you could set anything to space, what would it be and why? And if you have an answer to that question, go ahead and text us at 970-491-KCSU. Again, that number is going to be 970-491-5278. Also, our DJ-a-thon is still going on. And if you haven't yet, joined club 905 you can by calling that number or going to kcsufm.com slash donate uh we'll take any amount of donation we really appreciate it it's uh donations from listeners like you that keep our station going and keep us doing great student radio if you donate uh seven dollars fifty cents a month or ninety dollars fifty cents uh, one time you will be added to club 905 and you get all kinds of cool stuff t-shirts mugs in-studio albums lots of exclusive things so uh, if you're interested in joining Club 905, you can call us at 970-491-5278, and someone will be happy to take your call, or go to kcsufm.com slash donate. Alrighty, but we're going to go ahead and kick it off with our interview with Frosty Myers. Could you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, hi. Um, I'm thrilled to be here, and... Uh, um, Fort Collins is an amazing place. I had no idea um, <laughs> it was going to be this cool. And uh, I'm glad you like it. Oh yeah, and there's a, a, a oh, I'm in a show here. That's one of the reasons I'm here, and uh, at the college. And um, anyway, my real name is Forrest Myers, F-O-R-R-E-S-T, and. Uh, my nickname is Frosty, but once you're Frosty, you're always Frosty. <laughs> you're always Frosty. So you can't I, can't, stay frosty. I can't go back and. Uh, Anyway, uh, I've been an artist for, oh, God, in my whole adult life. I started making art when I was about 16, 17, and uh, serious art. By the time I was 19, I was right in the thick of it, you know, having shows, making sculpture. Wow. Uh, I'm a sculptor. I like big-scale stuff, uh, challenging work. I do a lot of different things. Uh, in fact, if you see one of my shows, uh, you know, like a— retrospective or something it looks like a one-man group show because there's so many different things that i'm working with and that's what excites me what's next what's coming what's uh, going to come in my mind what kind of mediums you're going to be doing it in well i'm basically a metal sculptor gotcha but i've also put art on the moon i was the first artist to uh uh send art to another celestial body yes you are and uh so you know that was 50 years ago I guess we can talk about that in a moment, but uh, one, of, one of the things that, that, that makes me who I am is I hit the ground running in New York City uh, night, about 1962, and it was just past the beginning of a fantastic renaissance, and I, I don't use that term loosely. This was the real thing. Um, the first renaissance, as we all know, was uh, in Lascaux, 
with the cavemen. So there's been a few renaissances since then, you know, the Italian, and there was a renaissance in Paris at the turn of the century. And then uh, the 1950s in New York City, and uh, I jumped in sort of in the middle of that. So, uh, so you're a renaissance man. I am. <laughs> if only I could write a poem, a decent poem, I could claim that. But, uh, and New York City is, I'm sorry, but that's the greatest city in the world, still is. Uh, it's Better than Fort Collins. Uh, yeah. Wow. Different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you're going to need some taller buildings. Yeah, uh, that's true. We don't have any of those. Uh, we've got mountains. Yeah, they're like buildings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, there you they go. have nature in them. <laughs> yeah, man-made buildings. Or so, I guess nature-made buildings. <laughs> man-made buildings are just buildings. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the Moon Museum for a sec because uh, what I the, the Moon Museum is almost a misleading title in a way. When I when I learned what it was, I was actually pretty surprised. So for those who are listening who may not know what the Moon Museum is, is it an actual museum? What is it? Actually, it's a small ceramic chip that's three quarter of an three quarters of an inch long uh half an inch wide and one thirty second of an inch thick and what it is is that bell labs in new jersey were working on computer chips because this was the time where we're going to the moon and we had we don't hadn't have uh cell phones Personal computers hadn't been invented yet. So Bell Labs, which is a series of, of scientists and inventors, um, were working on printing these little circuits that were computer circuits. And I was working with a, uh, uh, oh, a group called Experiments in Art and Technology. And it was run by uh, William Kluver. We called him Billy Kluver. But uh, the idea was to pair artists with scientists and get some kind of cross-pollination going. So when I had this idea of sending art to the moon, um, I got in touch with these scientists at Bell Labs, and they took my idea and made it real. And they printed one of these chips. Uh, I had asked five of my friends who happen to be great artists, and myself, um, to do small drawings. These drawings are about six inches by six inches. And uh, I arranged them, there's six of them, I arranged them in rows, and then these engineers shrunk these things down onto one of these computer chips. And it's that computer chip that went to the moon. And that computer chip, which is called the Art Museum, I mean the Moon Museum, because it, it, it looked like a museum because it had six artists on it and this a tiny little thing. Um, so that was November 1969, and that was Apollo 12. That was the second moon landing, and it was attached by one of the scientists, uh, engineers in Cape Canaveral. It was put on one of the legs of the lunar lander, and so it's still there now. Um, and with a lot of other memorabilia, uh, a lot of the engineers wanted to send something to the moon. It wasn't just me. And so there's a lot of stuff. At some point, they're going to go up there and find, you know, an archaeology dig is going to go up there to the moon and find this stuff. And um, 
anyway, it was all very exciting. And um, but see, we we didn't know. We needed to know if the thing was actually placed on there, because otherwise we couldn't celebrate. So one of the engineers, actually the engineer that placed the thing on the lunar lander, we think on the leg, sent us a telegram, sent me a telegram. One of the other engineers uh, who was sort of the uh, manager of this project sent him a telegram saying that he had placed it there. So. The next day, when the when the thing landed, uh, we knew it was there, and then we went. And it was another excuse to open a bottle, <laughs> and we celebrated, and um, and it was very exciting for for quite a while. But frankly, I had forgotten about this thing just about for 50 years. <laughs> and then when the anniversary, the 50th anniversary came around, it's amazing. It got all of this attention, and I I didn't see that coming. Uh, uh, it was in five major shows, uh, four of them in Europe. Well, three of them in Europe and two here, one in Fort Collins and one at the Metropolitan Museum um, in New York City. So it was well represented and celebrated. I'm sorry I'm breathing so heavy. You know, oh, no, at, you know right. at, at 7,000 feet or whatever it is. <laughs> it's um, a little rough. <laughs> uh, God, I'm huffing and puffing just, just getting into bed. Yeah, it's you tougher. Know? It's tougher up here at altitude. Yeah, well, they said, you know, radio is hard work, but <laughs> I, I, I don't think that's what they meant. <laughs> Might have been. <laughs> well, you talked a little bit about the artists, but could you name some specific artists that were part of the Moon Museum? Oh, oh sure. Andy Warhol. Uh, did uh, the seminal drawing of of his signature, which was an A and a W, and it sort of looked like a rocket ship, and it looked like something else <laughs> that can't be uh, mentioned on the radio. Yes. But um, that might encourage and of course, you to of look course, this up. <laughs> um, and uh, you, you know, the, the the second artist was uh, uh, Robert Rauschenberg. Uh, he did just sort of a straight wavy line and at first I thought well, well what's that but then I realized that, that a lot of his work pertained to this line uh, in different different venues and so it was on second thought it was really like what he did um, and of course as everybody knows Warhol and uh, 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 Robert Rauschenberg are great artists and uh, then I asked another friend of mine, uh, David Novros, who's one of the, the greatest painters of my generation, um, and, and uh, he, he gave me a drawing which was mostly black with some very faint lines in it. And at first I didn't think that that was going to be reproducible. But uh, these guys, the, the, way they were, the way they were using this technology, uh, it, they could do astounding stuff. Now they could put the whole moon museum, they could print it on the head of a pin. But back then, this was astounding that they could shrink uh, these six drawings onto such a small chip. The next artist was me, and um, I did a drawing of one of my seminal sculptures, which is sort of a, a square loop. It's almost like a Mobius strip in that it comes back on itself, but it's four-sided. Um, where a Mobius strip only has one side. Uh, in any case, it's called Laser's Days. And it was just a, a hand black and white drawing. And that was my contribution. 
except for the idea. And then the next artist was um, Claus Oldenburg. And um, he drew a little mouse that was seminal to the stuff he was working on. In fact, the, the, uh, the, the college museum here has one of these mouses, and it's in the show now. And uh, it's a terrific little sculpture. Um, so, so he did a drawing of his mouse. And then the next artist, the last artist, number six, was John Chamberlain. It was one of the world's great sculptors. Uh, and he did a drawing of, of a piece that he was working on, a whole uh, genre that he was trying to, 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 to work out. So it was experimental uh, on his part. And the show at the, at the college here um, has one of those pieces. And the, the show here at the college is in, uh, just a wonderful show. I'm, I'm thrilled to see it. You know, I was seeing it in pictures and bits and pieces. And, but when I actually went in the room, it's, it's not a big show uh, in the sense that it's taking over the museum. But this little room has got so much energy in it. And these six artists with their work in this one room um, is pretty powerful. And it was exciting and, uh, to be in that room. And of course, the curator and the head of the museum, uh, Lynn Bolin, uh, was the one who put that together. And it's just, uh, uh, it was a genius, you know. I never expected it. And uh, so it's the best little show uh, in America right now, and uh, uh, <laughs> I like the characterization. So we have we have Lynn Bolin actually in yeah. the studio with us. Hey, Lynn. Hey, Max. So uh, you want to tell us a little bit about how you decided to put the Moon Museum exhibit up and what the process of that was like? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you know, probably about twelve years ago, ten to twelve years ago, I was in grad school and got really interested in this group, Experiments in Art and Technology, uh, that really helped make the the chip happen uh, frosty did a lot of really important projects with this group um and so i got out of grad school i started my first curatorial job i was at the university of georgia and i, I met a guy who has become a really close friend the most serious and focused and knowledgeable collector i think i've ever known his name's bo ott he's actually sitting here too and he he we got to talking and i uh you know, we, we were both really into experiments in art and, art and technology, and he asked me if I knew about the Moon Museum, and I didn't. And my mind was blown. Um, I couldn't believe I'd never heard of it. It was such an amazing idea, such an amazing project, work of art. I, I knew right away it had to be an exhibition someday. I didn't exactly know how I was going to pull it off. Um, you know, for one thing, the chip itself is tiny. Um, but it only took a, a, a few moments for me to realize, hey, wait, this is mostly based on other very large-scale work. So then it was just a matter of, you know, being able to pull that work together. And there again, uh, you know, we were really indebted to Boat because he, uh, he was acquiring a lot of this art. And so the, the show that's up now is probably half 
drawn from his collection, I'd have to count, but um, really relied heavily on um, on that collection. So knowing that that was coming together, I I started at CSU about two and a half years ago, and I remember I came and gave my uh, my job talk, and uh, even included a pitch for the Moon Museum. I, I, I knew. I really wanted to do this, and I thought it was going to be a great fit for CSU, especially realizing that the art museum, we've got one of Klaus Oldenburg's geometric mouse sculptures. Um, obviously, Warhol uh, plays a pretty big role in CSU's uh, art history. Um, his visit in 81 was a, was a pretty big deal. And we've got the giant soup can out in front of the building at the University Center for the Arts. So it just seemed like the perfect place to, to finally realize this exhibition. And with the 50th anniversary coming up, um, had, to jump, had to jump on it, had to make that happen. And we managed to pull it off, largely thanks to, to Bowad and, of course, Frosty Myers, who agreed to let us take him along on this ride. <laughs> Seems like a great meeting of the minds. Yeah, it was terrific. Well, um, so I'm curious uh, what the response has been so far. And with the 50th anniversary, I'm sure it's gotten pretty big attention. What have you guys noticed? Well, what I've noticed is from these major museums, you know, uh, wanting the story, wanting a, a replica of the chip um, so that they could display it. And it's, you know, their shows are based on going to the moon, but they're art museums, so... The Moon Museum just uh, figured prominently in these shows. And, of course, I was thrilled um, uh, that this thing had come back around. I mean, it's bigger now than it was when I did it, you know. Uh, so it, it, the world works in wonderful and mysterious ways, and uh, I'm always amazed about where I end up because I don't want to do it originally. You know, I'm just – I'm one of these people I – mean, Probably look really negative, but I say no, and then my wife makes me do it. And then I'm thrilled that I did it, you know, rather than just flowing along with it and, and doing it. So, anyway, everybody's different. And, but, um, yeah, so, uh, but doing art in space, you know, after thinking about that soon after I did it, you know, I realized that I'm just planting this seed in this idea that artists go to space, you know, put something in space. It's different than an artist working in space. That's what I really want to do. I'm, I won't get that chance because I'm too old, but I might get to see somebody, another artist, get there and work in zero gravity. This is a sculptor's dream. <laughs> we are plagued by gravity. We we're we work with gravity every day, and sometimes it beats us up. And if the sculpture's really great, you don't even notice that the gravity is involved. But if you've got a studio with zero gravity, you're putting something here and something there and something over here without having to connect them with these uh, difficult armatures. Painting be even more fun because you're throwing paint here and here, and you're, you're doing a line here. You have it in 3D, and the thing can turn. And that's just two of the basic ideas. Once the artist gets into space, into his, you know, orbital studio, other ideas will come. 
these are earthbound ideas of me <laughs> thinking about doing it. If I was there, I'd think, oh, no, you want to do this. This is what you need to do. Probably a bit of a learning process. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but this is going to happen. This is coming. Uh, space art is going to be big. I mean, if you're, if you're spending six months trying to get to Mars, uh, if, if you're not doped up and put in a capsule somewhere to wake up later, you're going to want to do something. Yeah, what are you going to do And you're going to want to see something. Um, so it may have a very viable um, place in outer space. Definitely. Art. Um, so that's, that's what's coming. Okay. Gotcha. And I think that leads into one of our last questions, which is kind of going back a little bit into what inspired you to make the Moon Museum in the first place and go through all of this effort and gathering all of these artists to send this tiny little chip to the moon. That's actually an easy answer. Going to the moon was the biggest thing that happened in my generation. It was evolution. You know, evolution is so slow man can't see it. It takes millions of years, and you look at a fossil record, and you say, oh, that's how this evolved. Going to the moon was evolution you could see. People were getting off of this celestial body and going to another one. And we knew the technology was going to revolutionize things. Um, this was the most exciting thing that happened in my generation. Um, the, other sh the, the other space shots that are coming won't seem quite as exciting until they get there and see some amazing thing they had no idea about. Martians. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh sure. Um, so the inspiration was there. I mean, yeah. it was just all over the place. It was like, wow, we're going to the moon. I mean, when, when we went to the moon the first time, uh, I was part of a party in Central Park where there was thousands of people. And... It was celebratory. Everybody, yeah. all my artist friends were in bars watching it on TV. This is bigger than the Super Bowl. I mean, uh, when uh, Aldrin stepped out onto the moon, it was like, okay, this is a new world. And uh, a lot of the people didn't expect it to really happen. It was, it was that dangerous. You know, uh, odds were against it. And uh, it, was, it was flawless. And excited. I mean, we were thrilled, you know. And when I got the telegram, you know, a few months later, Apollo 12, that the Moon Museum was on the moon, I mean, I was thrilled. And so... Um, inspiration seems apparent. Uh, that's the artist's <laughs> best thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I heard there was um, a film happening in Fort Collins that's actually about the Moon Museum, if I'm not incorrect? Well, it's not really. That's just a part of it. It's okay. about, it's, it's called the uh, Art and Times of Frosty Myers. Oh, awesome. A lot of it has to do with this uh, uh, renaissance that took place in New York City and, um, and the different uh, things that were going on at the time. Very exciting time. I mean, there were big cultural things happening. Uh, uh, civil rights was the biggest thing that that uh, that I'd ever that ever seen. I, I never expected. I was raised in the South, so I never expected to see that happen. So when it happened, uh, it was thrilling, you know. Like he, here now, we're going to get rid of uh, segregation, you know. And Martin Luther King is probably one of the biggest geniuses of our day. Um, figured out how to do it. It was just it was such a puzzle. 
And then there was the women's liberation movement. These are all happening at the same time. Uh, this, was, this was huge. Uh, uh, the sexual revolution, uh, gay rights. This is all going on at the same time we're going to the moon. I mean, uh, this was a, a real exciting time. And that's all in the movie? Pardon? That's all in the movie? That's on the movie while well, talking wow. about it and, and pictures of this, this time, you know, and pictures of the artists that were working uh, at this time and um, original music, a lot of original music. And uh, it's probably one of the best home movies ever made. Right on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good and endorsement in, right there. It's been in seven film festivals. It's won oh, awards. Wow. So it got much bigger than the home movie we thought it was. Well, congratulations, Frosty. Yeah, where, thank you. Where is the movie playing in Fort Collins? Well, let me see here. It'll be at the Lyric. Lyric, okay. So on North College, and it's at 5 p.m. tonight. Now, tomorrow night at the University Center for the Arts in the Oregon Recital Hall, Frosty's going to be giving an artist talk, followed by a reception in the museum. Exciting. So, and that's all open to everyone. Wonderful. So uh, for anyone who'd like to learn more about the Moon Museum or about Frosty or about the Gregory Alcar exhibit or just the museum in general, uh, where can they go? And this is open to everyone in the room. Well, probably the easiest place to go is artmuseum.colostate.edu. Gotcha. All right. And where can they go to find out about more of your work, Frosty? Um, well, uh, www w forest myers one word f-o-r-r-e-s-t-m-y-e-r-s.com and turn up the music oh all right well thank you gentlemen so much for coming into the studio today it's been an absolute pleasure to listen to your stories and just uh meet you really it's an honor <laughs> thank you so yeah. thank Thanks you so much and before we let you guys go is there anything else you'd like to add about the museum about uh, your work anything you'd like to add at all I'm just I'm I'm excited. My eyes are wide open here. I mean, this is this is a, a different environment for me. You know, um, although I'm used to great museums, uh, having a show here in Fort Collins is uh, a big deal for me, and I'm I'm very appreciative. And uh, great campus, marching band, aces, oh yeah. So. Um, Ren's involved with the marching band, so she loves to hear that. <laughs> uh, I had trout for lunch, and I'm whole time I'm driving here from uh, uh, Steamboat Bend. Yeah. I'm driving along this trout river. It goes on forever. It's like 50 miles long or something, and there's all these trout hatcheries and fishing stations and guys out in their waders. And so I get to lunch today and order trout. You got to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a life. What a life. It's, I love Colorado. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was Frosty Myers, the creator of the Moon Museum. Up next, we are going to have Mia Sawaya, our local muse music director, uh, created a piece about recycling for National Recycling Day, which happens tomorrow. So we're going to listen to that. We're going to do some uh, campus news with Remy and local news with Ren. And yeah, stay tuned if you want to hear any of that. But before we go, 
It is still our DJ-a-thon. Ren, you want to tell people about DJ-a-thon? Of course I do. So our, D- our DJ-a-thon is just our semester uh, donation week that we usually do. We want to encourage you guys to donate. Um, you can become part of Club 905, and by doing that, you just donate any amount you can. Uh, go ahead and do that by calling 970-491-5278 or by donating at kcsufm.com. Stay tuned for that recycling piece coming up right after the break. When you lose feeling in your National Recycling Day is November 15th, and in honor of the art of recycling, I, Mia Sawaya, decided to interview Sarah Moline, a waste reduction and recycling specialist who works with the city of Fort Collins. We discuss the issues caused by China's reluctance to take our contaminated recycling, what we can do to counter those changes, and how we can locally contribute to our city's recycling efforts. Thanks for listening. Here's the interview with Sarah. Yeah, so uh, my name is Sarah Moline. I am with the City of Fort Collins Environmental Services Office, and I focus specifically on waste reduction and recycling in Fort Collins and the surrounding area. And I spoke with Susan Gordon last year, who also works in that department, correct? She is. She's the environmental services or the environmental manager for waste reduction and recycling. She also runs operations at the city's Timberline Recycling Center. Right. That's what we talked about a lot last time. And I kind of want to talk about a few of the things that um, I talked about with her last time, just because they might have changed since the year like happened and everything. So the first question I have is related to China. So last year, China stopped taking some of America's recycling due to a large amount of contaminants in our recycling loads. Specifically, they stopped taking numbers three, six, and seven. Is that still the case in Fort Collins? Yes and no. China is still not accepting recyclables, not just from Fort Collins, but anywhere in the United States. Um, And we've gotten a lot more clarity in the last year on if that's going to change and more clarity about um, really what types of plastics they don't want, which is actually more than just the three sixes and sevens. Turns out just looking at the number on recyclables is not as helpful as it used to be. Mm. So really, when we're talking about what plastics they can accept, It's a lot of the low-value plastics, um, things like those berry containers. We call them clamshells, like your raspberries and strawberries. Party cups, those plastic party cups everyone has, including, like, the plastic cups you get from coffee shops, as well as, like, takeout containers. So if you go out to eat and have a plastic container you're taking home, that's not going to be recyclable either. Wow. So basically... Numbers aren't really a good way of telling what's recyclable anymore, so it's just kind of a little bit vague. Is that a good way of putting it? So it's not vague. It's actually, um, in a way, it's simpler. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about squinting at those numbers on your on the different items. What you can do instead is really focus on the shape of the item you're looking to recycle. Um, this is only true of plastics. So the plastic shapes that we can recycle in Fort Collins are the plastic bottles, jugs, and tubs. So by bottles, I mean things like your soda bottles, shampoo bottles, jugs like milk jugs, laundry jugs, things like that. And then by tubs, think of like dairy or deli tubs. So your yogurt, your sour cream, or if you get like takeout soup that comes in those plastic round containers, those are really the only plastics that we can take in Fort Collins. So if it's not a bottle, jug, or tub, it really should be going in the trash right now. And why is it that we only take those plastics? 
So these are the items, the bottles, jugs, and tubs that still have strong markets. They have end destinations after they go into your bin. Whereas for those other single-use kind of flimsy plastics, um, like the clamshells, China was really the only ones taking them, and now they don't want them anymore. And in the past year, we haven't seen any end markets develop, and we're not expecting them to. So unfortunately, it seems like we're kind of out of options for those, which can seem really daunting because um, it is an international situation with international markets that are out of an individual's control. But you can't help by just avoiding using those items in the first place. Right. Isn't there like a phrase you have for that philosophy? Yeah, so we say reduce, reuse, recycle. And a lot of people forget about those first two and just focus on the recycling. But we really um, want to remind folks that they can reduce their waste, reuse what you can. So whether that's bringing a reusable straw with you, refusing a straw when you're out to a restaurant, you can even bring like a reusable container with you like Tupperware to a restaurant. And when they offer a to-go box, just say nope and pack your stuff away in that. So there's lots of ways to incorporate that aspect in your life. And then you don't even have to throw those plastics away. You don't even have them at all. A Tupperware idea is a great plan like that's i never even thought of that but i'm definitely gonna do that it's good people are very impressed when you do that yeah i mean you're planning ahead and you're just like oh i'm not gonna waste that plastic um you were talking about international markets before and how like the clamshells aren't really part of the international market anymore because china like kind of just stopped taking them is there a reason why america doesn't take those and why they only take the like heavier duty plastics that you were talking about like the jugs and bottles great question um It's interesting because it is a very large global system. When you're talking about recyclables, they're going to a lot of different places. The United States doesn't have as many end destination processors for recyclables. So what we do have are things for those um, plastic bottles, tubs, and jugs. We also have quite a few paper mills that will take recyclable paper, aluminum processors, but there's just no need for those markets to develop in the United States when China was taking them. It was a good system that we could send our recyclables over there. So we were hoping that those markets would develop in the past year now that China had stopped taking them, but they haven't because they're just a really difficult thing to deal with. I was going to ask, what are some of the difficulties in those like lower plastic recycling them rather than the heavier plastics? Yeah, a lot of the plastics, um, when you're thinking of a plastic bottle, you can melt them down and turn them into something else fairly easily. I'm not a huge operations mm-hmm. type person, but with those single use kind of clamshells and solo cups, because they tend to be a little bit flimsier and crunchier, just operationally, it's really hard to break them down and you know melt them down and repurpose them in a way that will work. So it's difficult for those single use plastics, but you were talking about you know markets getting developed in the United States. One thing we are seeing that with is paper products. Mm-hmm. Um, China also took a lot of our paper products stopped and then now there's a lot of places in the U.S. that are starting to develop those markets. So it's not completely depressing but we are in kind of a big transition period. And just kind of talking about local recycling, is there any specific service you provide the community that you think is like underappreciated? I know you guys have um, at your facility a place specifically for like plastic bags where people could bring them in like grocery bags and then they recycle them but is there any aspect of your of your work that you think is underappreciated? I don't know if underappreciated is the right word. I think a lot of people in the community don't realize um, some of the resources offered by the city and some of the great infrastructure we have in place. We don't only offer curbside recycling, which is provided by private companies, but we do have the city's Timberline Recycling Center, which um, 
has a front kind of area for all of your everyday recyclables if you don't get them collected at the curb. It also, as you were saying, has a specific bin for your plastic bags because those are something we don't want mixed in with other recyclables, but you can recycle them separately. And a lot of people don't realize that at the Timberline Recycling Center, we have an entire hard to recycle materials yard. And that is a wonderful opportunity for community members because they can recycle batteries, old antifreeze, motor oil, lawn furniture, metal, electronics, even like grass clippings and leaves, especially this time of year leaves. That's an entire area we have and a new resource for people. So we just celebrated our third anniversary there. Awesome. Yeah, I went there once um, last year for the interview. That's where we did the interview. And it was just like very organized and very easy to follow. So yeah, I'm pretty impressed in like what's happening over there. Are there any events over there? Because I know you guys do special events at the Timberline. We do special events. We um, just had our third year kind of birthday party. The next special event we have planned is actually coming up on November 15th. And it's on in honor of National Recycle Day, and we're actually going to be collecting mattresses, which is something we don't typically collect, but you can bring your mattress to be recycled. We're partnering with a company based out of Denver for that called Springback Mattress Recycling. Right, and you guys did that last year too. We do, yeah. Typically, we host at least one special collection event, usually in June, um, and we'll collect mattresses along with some other special items. We use that as kind of a practice run to see if there's certain materials that um, community members are interested in recycling. So last time we did it, we recycled mattresses and fire extinguishers. Interesting. And the fire extinguisher program was so popular, we've actually added it as an ongoing option in the hard to recycle materials yard are there any like new things you're going to do this year that other than mattresses or is it going to stay relatively the same yet to be determined um i would think we would do mattresses again but stay tuned because we're we're debating right now what else we want to try doing so this is kind of like what we're talking about earlier but you were talking about shampoo bottles that those are like something that we actually can recycle which is interesting to me because i feel like there's always a remnant of shampoo in the bottle is there like should we clean the bottle beforehand or like how does that work yeah that's something that a lot of people wonder about because you see on a on our recycling guides posters, we say empty and dry. Um, you absolutely want to get a container empty. So we don't want to see any like half-filled soda bottles ending up in the recycling bin. Uh, and sometimes people stress about getting all of the remnants out. Shampoo bottles are a little bit tricky, so I always suggest people at the very least um, give it a quick rinse afterwards. If there's a speck or two on there, I mean, we're, it's going to be okay. We won't throw out your recyclables, but if it's it's completely like half filled with shampoo or you have like a peanut butter jar that's caked with peanut butter. That's the type of thing we want to avoid. I was going to ask about that because I know China originally stopped taking recycling because of the amount of contaminants in our recycling. So I was just wondering if there's like one contaminant in like a whole bin of recycling, does that just not get recycled or how do you, how do they determine the amount of contaminants in a recycling bin and what degree does that like what degree do they say no to that? Thing? Yeah, it varies. Um, every processor has slightly different rules around contamination and how much contamination can be in a bin um, or in a load of recyclables, but not all contamination is created equal. So mm-hmm. if you as an individual accidentally threw in a half full jar of peanut butter, that's not great, but your entire load 
may not get thrown out unless everyone did that. Mm. You know, if you throw a whole fish in the bin, that's a bigger problem than a speck of yogurt. Right. And also, there's certain contamination that does prov- uh, that is a hazard for people at the processing plant. So things like needles and sharps. Those are things that if they do see them and they're in a load of recyclables, they will reject them and it will go to the landfill just because it is a safety issue. The same thing is true of batteries. Batteries are extremely dangerous in recycling because they can actually start fires at the processing facility. That is something we've had um, in the past year, year and a half at the Larimer County landfill. I heard about that. That's unfortunate. Yeah. So that's something else, though. I It is confusing for folks because mm-hmm. um, batteries, especially like cell phone batteries, the lithium ion batteries, have a recycling symbol on them and also a no trash symbol, which makes people think they can go in the recycling bin. But as we've learned, just because you see that recycling symbol, it doesn't mean something is actually recyclable locally. Right. So I guess the main thing... I've kind of gotten from this conversation is that the numbers don't really matter. It's more about the shape and it's kind of confusing to know what is supposed to be recycling, but I know you guys have like a A to Z recycling list on your website. Is that, is that like the best way for people to know what to recycle? Yeah, um, it is definitely confusing. I would always encourage people to check out their local recycling guidelines because that's something that varies from place to place. In Fort Collins, we have our own specific guidelines, but you go down to Denver, there are different rules. So I always encourage people to check out their local guidelines. Ours you can find on fcgov.com slash recycling guidelines. And we also have our recycling A to Z list, as you mentioned, which is just fcgov.com slash A to Z. We don't have everything on there, but we do have around 200 different items. So if you're curious about if something can go in the recycling bin or not, you can find out there. And even if it doesn't go in the recycling bin, a lot of items can be reused or recycled at special places around town. So that's something else you can find out there. Awesome. Do you have any tips on recycling more efficiently or reusing things more efficiently? I know we were talking about Tupperware. Yeah, let's, um, in terms of recycling more efficiently, definitely know your local guidelines. And if you have a question, if you're having a moment when you're standing in front of the trash or recycling bin and are not sure where something belongs, Either go take a second and look it up and find out, or when in doubt, go ahead and just keep it out of the recycling bin. We really want to keep everything in the recycling bin recyclable. In terms of reuse, as we discussed, yeah, the Tupperware, bringing a Tupperware or reusable container with you to bring home leftovers is a great thing to do. Also, just putting together a little reuse kit to have in your bag is great. So that can be your reusable straw, some reusable utensils. You can even get like little kits online that come with a little case and everything. That's a great option. And then bringing um, a reusable water bottle with you and a reusable like coffee cup or travel mug. Mm-hmm. Um, having those available for when you're at coffee shops is a great option. Um, so you can skip out on the to-go paper cups or the coffee to-go coffee cups, which are not recyclable. You can skip out on those with your reusable travel mug. And a lot of coffee shops will even give you a discount for having those. Yeah, but even starting to just think about the different products you buy and how much packaging is on them is a great place to start. And then you can start making those decisions as a consumer. Not to say that you can get rid of everything. We totally understand. It's hard to cut all of the plastic out of your life, Mm -hmm. but at least we can start that conversation. 
So last question, I feel like we should end it on an optimistic note. What is something that you look forward to happening in the future of recycling in Fort Collins? Like what's some what's an optimistic kind of thing for the future that people can expect? Yeah, looking forward, um, I'm excited to kind of use this as an opportunity to refocus on our recycling guidelines. A lot of people have heard about the situation with China and how things are changing internationally, which is having these impacts locally. And I think it's a great way um, for us to kind of remind ourselves that what we're disposing of does have a life beyond us. It has value. And this is a great opportunity to talk beyond recycling and talking about reusing and reducing our waste. So that's a great way to kind of introduce that conversation and make people feel like they can have more of an individual impact. Thank you for tuning in to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. If you want to become more involved with our local recycling efforts, a great start would be the Timberline Recycling Center's special collection event happening this Saturday from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. The Timberline Recycling Center is located on 1903 South Timberline Road, and their all-day event on Saturday will be collecting materials like mattresses that they do not normally collect throughout the year. You can find out more at fcgov.com recycling. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Ron Wadsworth. And I'm Maximus Hunter. We just heard from local music director Mia Sawaya about how we can better recycle for Recycling Day. And thank you so much, Mia. Not only was that interesting and informative, but it was really well made. So uh, thanks, Mia. And before that, uh, who do we hear from, Ren, before that? We heard from our artist, Frosty Myers, about his Moon Museum piece that's going to be exhibited at the Gregory Alakar Museum here in Fort Collins, which is pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. First piece of art ever on the moon. So that's in the Gregory Alakar Museum right now. And then he's got a movie screening tonight at the Lyric, and he's doing a talk at the UCA tomorrow. So if you're interested in any of that, you can learn more there, or you could uh, listen to our interview with him. It'll be up on the website at kcsufm.com uh, under News, Rocky Mountain Review. But before we move into the next segment of our show, it is still our DJ-a-thon. And I have some breaking news. And that is only you can save journalism. Don't you want to save journalism? Because we need some help. Uh, our journalism team here at KCSU, run by Ren and I, have work, we work with student reporters. We work with the community. We do a lot of outreach. But uh, we can't do it on our own. And that's what our DJ-a-thon is all about. It's about um, you know working with our community to keep this awesome student radio station going that... We love being a part of, and if you want to continue to help your fellow students and, or you know, just students in general, student journalists, journalism in general, and uh, help us keep making the show, you can join Club 905 by calling 970-491-5278. That's 970-491-5278, or going to kcsufm.com slash donates. Uh, you can donate any amount, of course, but if you donate $7.50 a month or one-time donation of $90.50, you'll be officially a part of Club 905, and you'll get cool stuff like a mug and a t-shirt and an album and even more. So if you want to do your part in saving journalism and uh, helping us keep this show going and work with training student reporters and interacting with our community, uh, yeah, get involved. 970-491-5278. But, but speaking of student journalism, we actually have a little bit of student journalism happening right now with our reporter, Remy, if you want to take it away with a little bit of campus news. Yes, hello, everybody. So, starting off, a set of students recently was done by 
or a set of studies, I'm sorry, recently was done by Colorado State University researchers in economics, atmospheric science, and statistics. These studies found links between crime violence and air pollution. So CSU epidemiologist Cheryl Magsman studied health effects from air pollution with another group of professors. They did a study on wildlife in Fort Collins or a wildfire in Fort Collins and how the fire would affect aggression and may heighten crime rates. One of the professors said, when you have more air pollution, this specific type of crime, domestic violent crime in particular, can increase quite significantly uh, due to the air pollution. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, and then Colorado State University agricultural scientists are sharing in a four-year, four million award aimed at helping onion growers combat the threat of crop-killing bacterial diseases. Uh, Michael Bartolo, CSU's specialty crop programs coordinator, will work with over 20 scientists to help in the research of bacterial pathogens that cost onion growers more than 60 million in crop losses every year. This research wants to help all of the components of food and agriculture and provide education for the students and CSU. I can't believe the onions are in danger. It's <laughs> the last bastion of freedom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then lastly, equine therapy at CSU Temple Grandine Equine Center is helping a two-year-old fight a rare disease. Uh, he has a disease called SLC6A1. It's a very rare disease that Maxwell, the two-year-old, is only one of 50 in the world that has this disorder. His doctors actually told his parents that nothing could be done to help their child. This disease causes seizures and extremely slow motor development. But um, due to CSU's equine therapy program, Maxwell uh, at just the age of two, comes every week to the CSU Equine Center to help strengthen his core and help develop his motor skills. Uh, his mom says, it has been a life-changing experience for Maxwell. It has made such a difference in my little boy's life. Oh, that's sweet. So interesting that they're doing that through equine therapy instead of uh, regular therapy, but maybe there's something there, there's some kind of technique there or something that yes. uh, yeah, it's very interesting. makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. Well, I always love to hear about another person named Max uh, having good things happen to them. So I'm glad for young Maxwell, and let's hope uh, he recovers fully. Um, but I think now we're going to go to our local news, and that's going to be with Ren. So take it away, Ren. Yeah, so a little bit about what's happening in Fort Collins right now. So this Friday, you can start feeling the Christmas cheer because the Budweiser, Budweiser Clydesdales at Brewery Lights will be opening its doors again. And Hauser Booch is fifth annual brewery light celebration at its Fort Collins Briar Garden and Tour Center offers an up-close uh, visit with huge equines and spectacular lights. Ten of the iconic Clydesdale horses will be on-site and available for photos on Friday for the opening ceremony of brewery lights, where Fort Collins Mayor Wade Troxell and Jean Brokus, the brewery's general manager, flip the switch on more than 100,000 Christmas lights. Visitors can also... Uh, enjoy train rides, food, music, and hot cocoa. 
The Brewery and Tour Center will be open till the end of December, and for more information, you can visit brewerylights.com. Again, that address is going to be brewerylights.com. If you're interested in something on a smaller scale, a butterfly house is expected to open in Fort Collins Gardens. After a $6 million expansion of the gardens on Spring Creek, a 1,500-square-foot room offers visitors to step into a world filled with tropical plants and butterflies, even halfway through November. Marianne Colley, Vice President of Science and Conservation with the Butterfly Pavilion in Westminster, which partnered with the gardens in Fort Collins on the butterfly piece of the project, said... You're going to see everything that would happen in nature, but you get to see it in an environment created by humans. Kali went on to say that it's been a true metamorphosis from an ex- amazing garden to a world-class experience. For more information about the gardens, you can visit fcgov.com gardens. Again, that's going to be fcgov.com gardens. Police are looking for more information on recent acts of vandalism, which took place last month. The vandals were two women who spray-painted over 20 cars. Vehicles parked on the 1400 block of Cypress Drive, Hueca Drive, and Ash Drive were tagged, as well as vehicles on the 2500 block of Westlake Street. Police looking to hold these individuals responsible for their actions have been successful so far, have been unsuccessful so far in identifying the subjects. If you have information you'd like to share about the vandal, vandalism or the identity of the two women, please like... Police ask that you call Detective Tim Moeller at 970-221-6563, Crime Stoppers of Larimer County at 970-221-6868, or go to www.stopcriminals.org. Again, all that information, again, is going to be uh, Tim Moeller at 970-221-6563, Crime Stoppers of Larimer County at 970-221-6868, or www.stopcriminals.org. There may be a cash reward for people with tips that lead to the arrest. Videos of the vandals can be found on the Fort Collins Police Department website. The city of Fort Collins has continued to exceed its expected progress in meeting the city's 2020 climate action goal. The initial goal was to lower emission levels to 20% less than what they were in 2005 by 2020. The city made that goal by 2017 and continued in 2018 by going 22% below... 2005 emission levels. This year, the city continues the trend by dropping emission levels, making its way all the way to a whopping 41% less emissions than in 2005. Because of this unprecedented success in lowering our emissions as a city, the city of Fort Collins has set its sight on its 2030 carbon emissions goal, reducing reducing emissions by 80% compared to 2005. And that is all the local news I have for today. Wouldn't that be cool if we could reduce carbon emissions to 80% by 2030? That would be incredible. Like that, I mean, the, the fact that we've already doubled what our goal was for next year is pretty wild. But if we could really reduce carbon emissions by 80%, that would make a real big change That'd be huge. in our local atmosphere and mm-hmm. maybe even, you know, beyond. Alrighty, we're going to take a quick break, but after that, we're going to close out the show with our National Day news and our weather forecast for the week with Max. So stay tuned for that right after the break. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Ron Wadsworth. And I'm Maximus Hunter. Uh, We just heard our campus news from Remy and our local news from Ren. Uh, in a second, we're gonna go into what national day it is today with Ren, but first, I'd just like to remind people that it is our semi-annual DJ-a-thon. This happens once a semester, and it is our KCSU fundraising week. 
because our station is only made possible through the donations of listeners like you. So if you want to help us out, you can give us a call at 970-491-5278. That's 970-491-KCSU. And someone will pick uh, be on the other end of the line to pick you up and get you into Club 905. Otherwise, you can go to kcsufm.com slash donate. Um, we take donations of any size. But to join Club 905 and get some super cool stuff like T-shirts, mugs, CDs, and more, uh, you can make a one-time donation of $7.50 to the station or sorry, a once-a-month donation of $7.50 to the station or a one-time donation of $90.50. And that'll get you into Club 905. Tons of cool stuff. Help out your local student radio station. We really appreciate it uh, so much. You don't even – couldn't even know. We appreciate it so much. Um, so, yeah, if you want to do that, that's 970-491-5278 or kcsufm.com slash donate. Ren, what day is it today? Today is November 14th. However, we're going to kick it back a little bit because yesterday was a pretty big holiday that we feel it's important we talk about. November 13th is World Kindness Day, and just like the name suggests, this holiday encourages acts of kindness throughout the world. Whether the acts are big or small, all kindness is welcome and encouraged on this holiday. The day is also known as Mr. Rogers Sweater Day, and many people and organizations celebrate World Kindness Day by wearing their favorite sweater or cardigan in honor of Mr. Rogers. I'll be your neighbor. <laughs> if sweaters aren't really your thing, don't worry, because today you can cozy up with National Family PJ Day. This day encourages you to spend a little quality time with your family in matching pajama sets. You can celebrate this day by putting on your pajamas, gathering with your family, direct or indirect, and taking some long overdue family pictures. November 14th, like many other national holidays, is food themed. Today is National Pickle Day, and this day celebrates all kinds of pickles, whether they be dill, gherkin, conchicorn, brined, kosher dill, Polish, Hungarian, lime, bread and butter, Swedish and Danish, or even a Kool-Aid pickle. What is that? <laughs> you... You just soak it in Kool-Aid and brine. It's really gross. Oh. <laughs> well, this day celebrates them all. The, world, the word pickle itself comes from the Dutch word pickle, which translates means brine, which translated means brine. In America, when we hear the word pickle, we often think of pickled cucumbers. However, nearly any fruit or vegetable can be pickled. Ever had Japanese pickles? Those are the best, like the bright yellow ones Ooh. or the pink ones, and they crunch, or they're sweet. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So speaking of sweet, pickles can be sweet, uh, spicy, or tart. It all depends on the brine and the amount of water, vinegar, spices, and sugar you add to it. And some interesting pickle facts are that each year in the United States, roughly 5,200,000 pounds of pickles are consumed it's mostly by my roommate pickles. <laughs> uh, the popularity of the pickle dates back thousands of years to 2030 bc at that time traders imported cucumbers from india to the tigris valley here the people first preserved and ate the, cu the cucumbers as pickles cleopatra attributed attributed her good looks to her diet of pickles and even julius caesar craved the benefits of pickles. He believed pickles lent physical and spiritual strength and gave them to his troops. Say pickles one more time. <laughs> I, that's it. That's all I have for National Pickle oh. Day, so I won't. Oh, you did it. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> um, keeping up with the food theme for today, it is also National Spicy Guacamole Day. Guacamole is an avocado-based sauce that originated with the Aztecs in Mexico and has become popular in American cuisine as a dip, condiment, and salad ingredient. 
The national calendar reports that guacamole is made by using a mortar and pestle to mash ripe avocados and then mixing in sea salt. Sometimes tomato, onion, garlic, lemon juice, chili, yogurt, or other seasonings are added. you got to stop. You're making me hungry. Jalapenos, chilies, cumin, or red pepper can be added to the recipe to make the guacamole spicy. We need a food show. A simple avocado carries a healthy punch of unsaturated fat, quote-unquote the good one. Additionally, a single avocado includes substantial amounts of vitamin C and E. Good things come in small packages, though. They are nearly 400 calories in one cup of guacamole. And Super Bowl Sunday and Cinco de Mayo celebrations feature guacamole as a staple snack. As a result, avocado sales have soared up to 30 million pounds on those two days each year. Um, Interesting fact, I'm actually allergic to avocados, and my mouth got a little tingly talking about those stories. Interesting facts. Uh, they're delicious, and my I, they stomach are delicious. got a little rumbly when you They are delicious. <laughs> I will not deny that. Um, and our last thing we want to talk about, like Mia explained earlier, tomorrow is National Recycling Day, which is also commonly called America Recycles Day. According to National Geographic, Americans send 64 tons of waste to landfills during their lifetime. That's 246 million tons of waste each year. National Recycling Day aims to encourage Americans to purchase recycled products and recycle more. And if you'd like to hear more about National Recycling Day and how you can become more involved in recycling, you can check out Mia's Pete's about it on our website at uh, kccfm.com. Yep, go to News, Rocky Mountain Review. That's where all our stuff is. Yep, and we're going to be uploading it tonight. But unfortunately, that is all the news I have about the national days that are yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But it feels like there might be something in the air that could change what we're talking about. I don't what know time what it is, is it? What time know. is it? It's weather time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love the birds. <laughs> so today, the weather cooled down slightly, but tomorrow, it's going to rise again to a high of 63. The day should be cool with slight cloud coverage, and those clouds just keep rolling, rolling, rolling in as we move into your weekend. On Saturday, the temperature is going to be a high of 60 with a lot more cloud coverage. It's going to be getting colder and colder, but then... On Sunday, it's going to be warmer and sunnier, and it's actually just not getting colder. It's getting nice. That's why they call it sun day. Ha, get it? Thanks for writing that one, Ren. Taking a look <laughs> at Monday, the temperatures just keep rising to 64 degrees, and it should be Sunday all day. If you're wondering if this warm weather is going to last into your last week before fall break, well, you'll just have to tune in next Tuesday on the Rocky Mountain Review to find out, because it looks like it's going to be a pretty nice weekend. Yeah. Unfortunately, that is going to be the end of our show. I know, terrible that it always has to end. Mm -hmm. But before it does end, we do have to thank some very special people. Of course. Starting with Damien Castillo. Yeah, he made the music that's playing right now. You can hear it in your ears. Yeah. (laughs) Um, He made all of the music that's on our show. So if you like any of the music that you heard on the show, you could check Damien Castillo out. We'd also like to thank Julia Baddeley's, Hannah Copeland, Isaiah Reyes, Peter Guac, Raven Color, Hutch Sinclair, Asher Korn, Monty Daniels, um, uh, everyone. <laughs> Everyone, there's so many people. Uh, Taylor was in the studio early, taking videos of us. Um, we have to have a special thank you to Mia. Yes, we have a special thank you to Mia Sawaya, our local music director. Special thank you to Remy for reporting for the show today. We, you know, get help from so many wonderful people around yeah, the studio. Thank you, thank you. I, it's, I just love the community we have here. Yeah, we have to thank our guests, um, Frosty Myers and everyone from the Gregory Alakar Museum who was able to make it in today for our uh, interview. Super interesting. Super uh, interesting. If you didn't get a chance to hear that, you can check it out on our website, kcsufm.com. Uh, it's about the first piece of art ever on the moon. It's uh, quite mind-blowing. 
Yeah, we have to thank each other because Max, I am so sad that it's almost fall break and I'm gonna miss a whole week of doing these oh, shows with you. I'm sad too. This is the highlight of my week for sure. I know. We do uh, lots of interesting stuff, and uh, you know, I, I love hanging out with you. Yeah, You're a good and friend. Of course, we have to thank you, dear listener, because we really could not do this without you. Thank you. And with that, I think we'll, we'll see, see you, you next time. time.